Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. I'll be your host serving up some of the most succulent stories from our region about people, places, and things that impact our community and your financial well-being. I'm sure there will even be a few tasty surprises here and there when the recipe is right. Our goal is to have you learn, think, even laugh a little bit, all calorie-free. I know you'll enjoy what we're delivering right to your kitchen table or dining room or, sir, will you be eating in your car? Wherever you choose to listen. Welcome, everyone, to Bite-Sized Finance, by Sci-Fi, every Sunday, 3 p.m., KFBK, and wherever you get your podcasts. And this is a great opportunity to sit down and talk to local folks about businesses they've been able to build, about their achievements, and also about their mistakes and what they've learned from them along the way. Pleased to be joined by the one, the only, Billy Downing. Billy, hey, Kelly. the chairman, the founder, the president, the CEO, the chief tutorial officer at ESM. Is that correct? Did, did I get all your titles right there, Bill? Wow. Thank you. That's very <laughs> gracious. Very gracious of you. Well, and ES, talk to me. First of all, where does ESM stands for? What? So, so actually it's a, I don't know if it's a funny story or interesting story, but you know, when I started in what I would say academic tutoring and college coaching, you know, now nearly 25 years ago, you know, it was just me, right? There was no company and no team and no staff. And I realized when I would go and and meet folks, they would always ask me for a business card. And I didn't have a business card. I didn't have a logo. I didn't have a website back then. And so one day somebody says, well, you really need a company name and 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 a business card. And so I, I was just driving around town one day and I just started finding different businesses and looking at their names and I couldn't figure it out. And so, you know, that night at dinner with my folks, I just started listing, you know, acronyms and came up with ESM. Didn't mean anything. It was just, I just said, I got to figure this out. And so just went with that. And, you know, over the years, it is morphed into every student matters, which I think really talks to the values of the company and, and the values of, of what, you know, folks like us try to do is we really try to help every kid. So Billy's company then, in other words, helps tutors, tutors kids and gets them ready to apply for college to define who they are, to find the best fit, what school they want to go to. Billy, you mentioned your mom and dad. Let's start there. I know you grew up here in Sacramento. You're a proud graduate of Jesuit high school of the University of California, Berkeley. But tell me about your mom and dad and how their habits, their business, their attitudes, how that helped shape you. Well, I I think probably like with most, you know, business owners or operators, you know, you're a product of your, your youth, right? And I grew up here in Sacramento on American River Drive and was very lucky to go to Jesuit and very lucky to go to Cal. And, you know, my mom was from Greece and came to this country, like a lot of immigrants with sort of a few bucks in her pocket and an uncle who was living here. And she, you know, put herself through Sacramento City College and, you know, cut hair and sold cosmetics and did everything and anything to sort of, you know, make a living. My dad who grew up in a small town called Quincy, California, ended up coming to Sac State where he played football and studied sciences and, you know, found himself working in the car business and started at, you know, working for Vince Meta at Sacramento Oldsmobile on Fulton Avenue 
after work, he'd probably go over to the buggy whip and have a couple cocktails where he met my mom one day. And I think that's where they had their first date was at the buggy whip. And, you know, he ended up going on and, and becoming a Toyota dealer in Yuba City, California. And so I always would see my mom and dad, you know, just the sense of urgency of how hard they worked. You know, my, my dad, even at 71 years old, still works six days a week. And I remember when he passed away, I remember receiving a phone call from my brother who was at the hospital that morning. And he said, you better get down here. You know, things are sort of spiraling out of control. And I hustled down to Sutter General and I was expecting to see like the cords and, you know, like the, the, you know, like the doctors in the room. And instead what I found was my dad sitting up in bed on his cell phone, talking to somebody who he was selling a Corolla to. And I said, I said, dad, what, what are you doing? You're not, you're not supposed to be working. And you know what he said to me? He said, I just needed one more. And so there was always sort of this sense of urgency, this work ethic. And I really saw that. And I applied it to how I worked in school and how I played soccer and, and then eventually starting a business. So it was always challenging when, you know, times are bad, but you always knew that if you worked hard and you continued to have a sense of urgency, you know, you, you would get through those. And I saw that with my mom and dad all the time. So Billy, you leave Cal. What was the impetus or the trigger to get you into the business you ended up in? What was, what was that? Yeah. What was that portal? What got you in? Yeah. So, so I was really lucky. I came back to Sacramento after four years at Cal and had a great experience at Cal. And I ended up having my first real job. And to my mom's point, she still thinks it was my only job. She still doesn't think what I do today is a real job. She, she, I said, mom, there's, you know, nearly 700 employees across the United States and the UK and seven offices. It's not a real job. She says, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And so my first job, I was lucky enough to work at CB Richard Ellis downtown. And I worked for a man by the name of Bill Swettenham. And, you know, Bill to this day remains one of the smartest, hardest working, passionate people I've ever had the privilege to, to get to know. And I had known him prior to working for him. But I just saw this guy. He was the first guy in. He was the last guy out. He knew everything. He worked hard. He prepared tirelessly. And he was a winner. He was so competitive. You know, he'd be so mad if he didn't get a deal done. He would just be livid. It would just eat him up inside. He couldn't believe that he couldn't convince somebody to take 100,000 square feet in Ranch Cordova <laughs> in 2003. But he was a wildly successful guy. And, you know, Kelly, when you walk in a room and you meet someone for the first time and within five minutes, you're like, wow, that person is really good at what they do. Like they are an expert practitioner of whatever their craft is. And I saw that in Bill. He was so good at how he negotiated and he chopped it up with people he made them feel at home. And then he just knew everything. He knew the market statistics. He knew the demographics. He knew the companies, the competition. He was so good at every aspect of his craft. And so, you know, it didn't take long, Kelly, to figure out, wow, I am never going to be that good at that. And so, you know, realized that commercial real estate was probably not my thing. And so, you know, I went through a period of time where I thought about, well, do I go work for my dad and sell Toyotas or 
So I go back to school and, you know, I ended up getting a master's in sports management from the University of San Francisco because I thought, well, maybe I could work for the Kings one day. I think pretty much everybody at the Kings shot that down pretty quickly for me. And, you know, while I was doing all that, I was tutoring kids on the side. I was coaching soccer. I was helping kids write their college essays. I was helping kids get recruited to play soccer in college and realized at that point that I really loved coaching. Like I really loved working with high school kids to figure out what was next. And and for some people that was college, for some people that was getting an internship, for some people that was just graduating high school. And so I remember coming home one day and, you know, remember a traditional Greek family, you know, and I tell my mom and dad, I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a real job. I think I'm going to start a tutoring company or start doing this as my career. And I can remember so vividly my mom sort of like craning her neck around the kitchen, you know, door into the family room. And she was like, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? You know, like just letting me have it. Like how could her son not go get a nine to five job where your health care is paid and you get a salary and you're respectable and blah, 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 blah. But I convinced her. I said, I think this could be something. Anyways, you fast forward to today, you know, ESM is a part of a larger organization called Stravos. We have 700 employees in most of the U.S. city, major cities and the U.K., And we're institutionally backed by a private equity company in Philadelphia called Boathouse Capital. But you, at that moment though, Billy, you could have easily gone to any high school, your alma mater, any high school. You could have gone to Rio or El Camino or anywhere and probably applied to become a college counselor on that campus. What was it where you said, no, I think there's a business possibility here that where I could take better advantage, have more freedom and do more maybe than the average college counselor is able to do just because of scale. You know, I I think it was definitely a thought that went through my mind. It's like, gosh, what a, you know, you look at people at Jesuit and you and I both know Jay high. Well, you've got people who've had a wonderful career there teaching and in administration. They've been there for decades and it, it really is a really wonderful community. So I thought about it, but what I, what I really, I think one of the things that I always thought about was, you know, how do you align your actions with your goals? And, you know, my goal was to be able to be in charge, to control my own destiny, and most importantly, to control the one commodity that none of us can control, which is time. I wanted to be able to take my kids to school or take them to soccer practice. I wanted to be able to take vacation when I wanted to. I wanted to be able to go have lunch with my mom. I wanted to be able to have those 43 days in the hospital with my dad before he he passed away. I, I wanted to have the ability to leverage time. And I realized, you know, even back then, that the only way I was going to do that is if I did this for myself. And it was really scary because I had no money and – my parents wouldn't give me any money because they thought this was crazy. <laughs> and there was one person in Sacramento. <laughs> there was one person in Sacramento who was crazy enough to believe in what I wanted to build. And Stop that right man's there. name Stop was. Stop right there. That is the perfect tease for our next section. 
We are going to talk about the one guy who had faith in what Billy Downing wanted to build and has built. We're going to talk about his relationship with the man who would become the centerpiece of the varsity blues scandal. And we're going to talk about the way he prices his product and how I kind of knew this was going to happen. But we'll, we'll talk more about that, too, because it's a pricing model, which he had to adapt as he went to other parts of the country and the world. Billy Downing, the head of ESM, now a global company, not just U.S. Back with more on Bite Size Finance after this. I'm Father Christopher Calderon. I serve as the president of Cristo Rey High School, a work-study school. As we partner with businesses all throughout Sacramento, we want to take a moment to hear from our students as they share their experience. Hi, my name's Alexia Lejo. My work-study sponsor is Bhutan Jones, and I like the environment that's in the firm and the people that I'm surrounded with. They treat me like family when I'm there. Thank you very much, Bhutan Jones. Thank you again to all our work-study sponsors for believing in and being a part of the work we do. Do you have a financial plan for your pets? Protecting your loved ones, both two- and four-legged, is important, and the Sacramento SBCA can help. Join us for a complimentary estate planning seminar and learn how you can provide for your family and your pets while also creating a lifeline for animals in need. Visit sspca.org forward slash estate to view seminar dates and secure your spot for one of our upcoming virtual sessions. That's sspca.org forward slash estate. Billy Downing is our guest, and always a pleasure to have Billy on. He was just about to tell us, as his parents thought he was bananas for starting this business, there was one guy in town who thought, I think there's something there. And that was long before it turned into a 700-employee, seven-office globally entity around the world. Billy, who was the masked man? So, you know, I had gotten to know a lot of families here in Sacramento by coaching soccer and just getting to know people when I came back from Cal. And I had been coaching this young man who's an excellent soccer player, and his name was Andrew Mills. I asked him one day, I said, what does your dad do for a living? And he's, he's, you know, Andrew was 10 years old at the time. He says, my dad buys businesses. I said, excellent. I'd really like to get to know him. And I was lucky enough to get a meeting with Steve Mills at DCA Capital. I sat down with Steve and I said, I'd like to pitch you on investing in my tutoring business that I'm going to start. And Steve said, absolutely not. No way in hell. Leave me alone. (laughs) And I would kept going back to Steve week after week after week, until I harassed him into giving me $25,000 for 10% of the company. And, you know, looking back on now what's been nearly 25 years of partnership, I have, you know, been so lucky and so grateful to have Steve in my corner. And, you know, I'm sure that we both, this has both turned out to be a great result, far better than we probably all thought. But what's been really the most satisfying is, you know, the relationship and having Steve in my corner, you know, through all the trials and tribulations, because it wasn't all good, right? Where there was areas where we thought maybe the business would go under, and then we had some partnership challenges, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then there was 2008 and 2009 in the financial crisis, and then there was COVID. And so having someone with a steady hand like Steve to help coach me along the process and and the rest of the team, you know, has really been invaluable. And Steve today is, you know, not only just a great friend, but really like a second father to me. And, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. 
and you know probably wouldn't have gone into the business had I not got that $25,000 investment. Yeah, that was kind of the linchpin for you even entering. But as you point out, the advice and counsel along the way is probably worth that 25000 a multiple of 10 or 20 or 30, right? Yep. I mean, he, he is a steady hand at the wheel, no doubt about it. All right, go into the the scandalous part of this. Rick Singer, the, the man at the, you know, the center of the storm over Varsity Blues, which has seen many Hollywood celebrities go to jail, many, you know, coaches at various very high-end universities fired or go to jail. And he, Rick Singer, obviously called Sacramento home base for a while. You worked with him. Is that correct? So, so I'll tell you an interesting story about Rick. And so I met Rick in 1997 for the first time. And Rick was actually my college counselor when I was a Jesuit. And I was one of Rick's first kids in the program back in the late 90s. And, you know, it was a really interesting experience, you know, having somebody sort of coaching you along how to get recruited to play soccer or to, you know, write your essays, what schools you should apply. I had, you know, I had never been through the process. My parents, you know, my mother had never gone to college and for a four-year college and, and my dad had gone to Sac State. So, you know, everybody was sort of in the dark about how all this worked and we had great support from Jesuit, but my dad had met Rick through a alumni program at Sac State. And anyways, I had a really good experience as a student working with Rick and, and so reconnected with him once I got back into the tutoring world here in Sacramento and, and had a period of time where, where Rick and I worked together and I would handle some of his students that he wasn't, that he wasn't handling or he needed extra help with or whatever. And back then it was a much different world. I think we charged like $1,500 a kid for a year. You know, I did a lot of SAT tutoring and ACT tutoring and it was Rick and a couple of us tutors, you know, doing the work, you know, where all that went astray I don't really know. I had lost track with him after, you know, spending a couple of years working for him and decided, you know, I really wanted to be on my own, really wanted to be my own boss. I, I will tell you that from an industry perspective, when all that news came out, we were really, really concerned because our worry was that the industry as a whole was going to be painted with, this is what all independent college counselors do. This is what all academic tutors do. You know, this is you know, that this is the norm. And, and the reality is that the truth couldn't be farther from that, right? You know, in the last 25 years that I've been doing this, I have come across so many tutoring companies and, and, and college counselors, both in school and out of school, who have been really focused on one common goal. And that's helping their kids achieve greatness. And wonderful, wonderful people that I've come into contact with. And, you know, listen, it was really disappointing to see what happened with Rick in terms of how he got off his North star and, and went a direction that was damaging to the industry, damaging obviously to himself and most importantly, damaging to the students that he was working with. The, the positive byproduct of that experience was that a company at that point, you know, we had, you know, over 150 employees, several offices, you know, we had a track record, we build our own curriculum, we had full-time employees. So finally, all of that overhead, Kelly, that I complained about to Steve Mills every month, finally paid off because what families decided to do in that sort of post-varsity blues is said, well, we want to come to your office. We want to meet your staff. 
We want to we want a list of your referrals. We want to see the curriculum and the books that you guys have written. We want to know who's helping our kids and how. And so a large company that's been institutionalized really benefited from that. And it was really a result of that Varsity Blues and then COVID that really allowed us to go on an acquisition sort of barrage where, you know, we've essentially bought four different companies in the last 24 months. And, you know, so things happen for a reason. So it was a really scary time. Did you, Billy, did you know, though, I mean, when you heard the news, did it surprise you or had you heard Rick is into a gray area here? He's, he's bending rules or he's, he's he's gone off the rails. No, I was surprised. I was surprised. I, I, I didn't think what we ended up finding out to be the truth was actually possible. I just, I really wouldn't have fathomed that. I, you know, I'm sure there's gray area in every industry, but for me, I was really surprised when I saw it. I was surprised at the depth of it. Yeah. And I was surprised at the scale of it. And, and especially the number of coaches within higher education that were involved, I think was really shocking to me. So you know, I was, I was disappointed. I was sad. I was upset. I was frustrated. I was worried. I was all of those things. And, you know, I, I just really put my head down and, and kept doing what I know is the best for, you know, really any company, which is put both your hands on the steering wheel, continue to do the job that you can do and, and continue to be true to your, your company's values and mission and vision. And we did that as a company and, and, you know, candidly came out stronger as a result of it. Stay inside the lines too. I mean, he was, he had gone a little rogue, no doubt about it. Billy, we only have about a minute. We're going to, we're going to obviously get back with you after the the bottom of the break here. But um, just in general though, talk about, we have about a minute here. Just talk about, you know, the typical kid comes to you when they're a freshman or sophomore, they need help. What do you do? I mean, what, what, what is the base service you offer kids, whether they're an athlete or not? Yeah. And, you know, we currently work with approximately 10,000 students annually, and that's either through, you know, individual families, through school district partnerships like Fulton County and the state of Georgia. We do a bunch of test prep and tutoring for Fulton County. And what we hope we are delivering at a very basic level when that family picks up the call or picks up the phone and calls or, or, or whoever, are we leading with advice? Are we providing information that's value-based that that family then can turn and go and it's actionable whether they hire us or not. And so we hope that every interaction that a family has with us at that instance is like, Hey, here's our two cents. Here's what our experience tells us. You know, here's our recommendations. You can actually go and take this information and put it into action day one Obviously, we hope that that family comes back to us and say, great, we, we really appreciate the information. We want you guys to guide us through and lead that actionable list of things. But we hope that at least that initial phone call, people walk away going, okay, I know something new now, and that's something that I find beneficial. We're going to talk with Billy Downing more after this short break. You're listening to Bite Size Finance. Anywhere you find your podcasts or on Sundays, 3 o'clock on KFBK. Kelly Brothers here for Cap Trust. We are fiduciaries. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? That means that legally we are obligated to put your best interests over our own. Non-fiduciaries don't have that same legal situation. They can sell you something as long as it's suitable. 
but they don't have to put you in the best thing for you over their best interest. In other words, they can't just sell you a nice annuity with a big fat commission for themselves, even if it's not the best thing for you. We are fiduciaries. We are proud to be fiduciaries. And let me say something too about price. I am always shocked by the fact that I, there are people who I know will scour the internet for the cheapest flight or the cheapest ticket to a ball game, but they have no idea what they are paying for their advisor. We tell you upfront in black and white, here's what you're paying for what you're getting. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville and Folsom. Back on Bite Size Finance, buy sci-fi every Sunday, 3 o'clock on KFPK or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, if you have a question, an idea, someone to be interviewed, a que- anything at all, you can reach me at buy sci-fi, B-I-S-I-F-I podcast at gmail.com. Billy Downing, the man who runs ESM, 700 employees, seven offices, thousands of students who he has helped get into the schools of their dreams or... In some cases, it's to figure out the school of their dreams wasn't the right school for them, that there's probably a better fit somewhere else for one reason or another. Billy, I'm sure there's a lot of that, right? I mean, you know, I think as a society, unfortunately, we're we're so focused on prestige. And, you know, it, it really comes down to almost like 20 or 30 or 40 schools that that people focus on. And that's just not the right way to think about higher education anymore. You know, like the, you know, Kelly, when you went to school, the additive and sort of the, the, the talk track was work hard in school, you get good grades, you get into a good college, you get a good job, you have a great life. You know, that was very much true. That is not the case today. You know, education and life is not so linear anymore. And so, you know, what we try to challenge our students to think about is, you know, what really drives them? What's going to be a great leverage point? You know, what is their five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan look like? And people might say, well, God, how does a 16 or 17-year-old have a five-year plan? You know what? It starts with something. It starts with an idea. It starts with a dream. It starts with a, a goal. And those things can become very fluid and they can change in time. But, you know, it is so funny that, you know, the phone call that I get the most, Kelly? What? Billy, we want our kid to go to Stanford and we want him to study business administration. I said, well, congratulations. He'll be the only one in the department because there is no business administration <laughs> at Stanford from an undergraduate perspective. And so it's like people want to almost believe, you know, what they want to believe. And, and so we want to we encourage and challenge our kids to take a step back figure out where you're going to be happy academically, where you're going to be happy at socially and and what's going to move the needle for you. And you know what? Sometimes that means a school in a location or a size range or a tier that is different from what people have looked at because, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know. So at the end of the day, what we hope every kid when they get to college, what we hope they say is I'm really pumped and excited to be here. I've got the toolkit to be successful and I know that the next four years is just the start of the race. Like the, the race hasn't been won because I got here, right? The journey continues. And by the way, it continues well after they graduate college. And it might change. You never know. I mean, you're going to change your major three times. You might have to you know, I, change. I did. Yeah. I, I, 
So real quick, I don't want to dive into this too far, but I just need to ask you, given the debacle of Harvard, MIT, Penn, the whole president's woke, all that, has interest in those schools waned or is this just a blip on the map? I think ultimately what we're going to see is that it's a blip on the map. We have seen in the short term kind of a knee-jerk reaction. You know, Harvard reported recently that applications were down 17%. You know, at some of the other places, they've been relatively flat. Listen, I, th- I think the political landscape on college cam- campuses is sort of reaching a boiling point. And it's an interesting intersection of time and history, right? Because you have an election year that's going to be highly charged. You've got, you know, two world wars going on at once. And, you know, you have this, you know, sort of growing presence of, you know, assertiveness in in young people to stake their claim in terms of their religious or political expectations, all of which are, are fine. But what it's doing is it's kind of creating this sort of cauldron, which is now spilling over. And so, yeah, there's going to be some people who are going to be turned off by that and say, like, listen, I'm, I, don't, I don't care about the prestige or I don't care about the brand name of the school. It's not a place where I would be happy and I'm going to look elsewhere. Is that going to continue? Listen, I think as humans, we have very short memory. Do. And, yeah. you know. And, and Harvard was only accepting 4% of the kids who applied anyway. So to lose seven, I'm sure that's, but let's talk for a minute about the way, Billy, you price your services. I remember you telling me one time that the price you charge in Sacramento, that if you charge that in Orange County or Palm Beach or London or Connecticut, you might be laughed at, that there, no one would ascribe value to it. You have to price it in a certain way for anyone to even take notice of the service that you're offering. Talk to me about pricing, because I think far too few aspiring business people understand that the way you price your service has really very little to do with the cost of that service. Yeah, so it's it's certainly been an interesting dynamic for us as we've scaled the business and grown. You know, we started off as a Sacramento-based company that primarily serviced Sacramento, El Dorado Hills, Granite Bay, you know, a little bit of Davis. But as we started to reach out and do more and more business in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, New York City, Boston, we started to realize that you know, we were losing business because we weren't priced appropriately. And, you know, it was kind of shocking. Like, we're like, hey, this is a good product. You know, we're charging what we believe a fair price. And, you know, just to give you some context, you know, we went into New York City and it's a it's a market that has a ton of incredibly talented tutoring and college counseling businesses that had been entrenched in that market for decades. And, you know, I, I went to a family's home and was chatting with them about their kid and about the process and, and how we could help. And the, the, the mom and dad asked me after the child left the meeting, said, okay, great. This sounds like a, a win. You know, what do you charge? And I gave them the exact same pricing that I was currently charging for my services in Sacramento. And they said, great, thanks so much. And, and you know, kind of went on my way. A couple of days later, the dad called me and he said, hey, we're, we've decided to go with somebody else. I said, oh, well, you know, I really appreciate meeting you. And could I, could I ask you why? He said, well, we're going to go with a lady that, that is charging $65,000 and you were offering to do it for 10. And I'm like, well, this is a great, I, I offered you a great deal. And he said, you know, my wife doesn't think you're good enough if you're only charging 10. So it, it was a really, really interesting life lesson for me that 
the advisor who was charging 65, there was an assumption by the client that, well, this person must be really good to charge that amount. And we started increasing our pricing in the various other markets. And we saw a significant increase in the adoption of our services. And it was, it was a really big lesson for, for me and, and for the management team, because we had never thought about pricing can and should vary based on what the market in those local areas commands. So those local, are those local areas today, Billy, do you charge more in New York and London and Miami than you do in Sacramento still? Absolutely. Yeah. And wow, that's, I mean, that's, that's such a great lesson. That's, (laughs) you're thinking, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I'm, I will give you all that for that price. And they're thinking, no, you can't. No. And this, this person who's 10 times more, maybe not 10, seven times more than you, we're going to go with them because that's the, that, that's what we see for our child as being worthy. Is that right? I think a lot of people figure we get one shot to get this right. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that we're getting the right advice. We're getting the right level of support. And it was just a really interesting life lesson for me and, and a business lesson for me to, to think about it from a perspective of that's what the client values. And it is, it is a very fragmented marketplace, right? You have people who on one side nowadays could charge you a hundred dollars an hour and they give you great advice. You have other people that charge, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for a one year engagement. So it's an incredibly fragmented industry that's really growing. You know, what we hope to do is, you know, be somewhere in the middle there and, and really provide a high level of service for what we feel is a competitive price. And, you know, obviously being the largest group currently that does this, you know, we think that, you know, we think we're being successful with that strategy. No. And I remember when you first told me about your business and I remember having read an article about what parents in America spend and what they spend their money on and what parents in China spend their money on. And I remember it was almost the exact inverse in America. Let's, I, I don't remember the numbers. Let's say it was 4,000 a month on housing and a hundred dollars a month on education. And in China, it was almost the exact opposite. They spent very little on housing, but they spent a lot on their kids' education. And I thought right. Billy's tapping into something here because there will be people who say, no, if I'm going to spend this on a trip or a house or a car, I could spend more money to make sure that, as you point out, my one son or, or one daughter or, you know, get the very best shot at this. So I, I could see how that was going to work. Billy, Billy Down, we're going to take a short break, be back for one, one more section. This is Bite Sized Finance by Sci Fi. Anywhere you get your podcasts or right here on KFBK at 3 p.m. on Sunday. Hello, this is Scott Thomas with CapTrust in our Sacramento office. I specialize in working with local nonprofits and associations. Annually, we survey private and public nonprofit organizations across the country to better understand challenges they see in today's environment. In our more recent survey, we heard concerns about proper board governance, mission-aligned investment, and how to implement alternative investments. If you would like a copy of the survey or to discuss your organization, look me up, Scott Thomas at captrust.com. Hello, this is Will Gabry, and I am an advisor with CapTrust here in the Sacramento area. I'm a busy father of four, and life comes at us fast. As my 20th year of advising clients begin, I want to take a moment and reflect on why I'm thankful to have chosen this profession. 
Quite simply, I get to help people. I work with clients on wealth management, income, and taxes, to name a few. But even more importantly, I get to be part of great relationships. People often interact with an advisor during life events, and I've been with clients through difficulties and joyous times. Conversations, connections, and trust built mean more to me than anything else. Working at a nationwide firm like CapTrust gives me a team of professionals to assist in all aspects of financial advising. Being part of our local office means great care and service to our clients. If you would like to start a discussion and see how we can partner with you, you can find me at captrust.com. Look for Will Gabri, G-A-B-R-I. Thank you. I'm Father Christopher Calderon. I serve as the president of Cristo Rey High School, a work-study school. As we partner with businesses all throughout Sacramento, we want to take a moment to hear from our students as they share their experience. My name is Ashley Heredia, and my sponsor is Sutter Health. I love working with them, specifically the pediatrics, and that's the department I work in. I like to see how the doctors interact with the babies and the work that MAs do. Thanks, Sutter Health, for the opportunity. Thank you again to all our work-study sponsors for believing in and being a part of the work we do. Kelly Brothers back, Bite Size Finance, stories, interviews, interactions with business leaders from our region and beyond. Billy Downing is our guest this week. ESM, 700 employees, seven offices around the globe. Billy, I mean, and you're still a coach, right? You're not just the executive in charge of growth. You're, you're still coaching kids. Is that correct? So, you know, I've been really blessed as the company has grown and and the management team has grown, you know, I've been able to, I really am blessed to have great partners. And the deal that I made with the management team was I'm all for growing the business. I'm all for taking on institutional capital. I'm all for doing acquisitions, but I want to continue to go home to home and meet with my students and meet with my families, have that one-on-one interaction and, and work, you know, really in the business. I remember you know, really good friend and, and lifelong mentor to mine was a gentleman here in Sacramento who recently passed away, Tom Candris. And and Tom was a friend, a mentor client. And Tom would always tell me, Billy, you're it, you're you're so you're so missing the point. You're supposed to work on the business, not in the business. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but Tom, I love being in the business. I love working with the students. So, you know, even to today, you know, I still have a caseload of anywhere between fifty and eighty students at one time. That's fantastic. Billy, I mean, just to let you know, at Cap Trust, we we cut a deal a few years ago when we were GBB. And the reason we did is because we wanted to be advisors. We were spending too much time on the business and not enough as, as much as we wanted to in the business. So that was the in- exact reason we did what we did. I remember I remember going by Jesuit High School one time, the administrators, I, I asked for one of the administrators, and they said, oh, he's doing therapy. I said, what's therapy? They call therapy is where they go you know, after a rough day or a lot of heavy conversations, they just go and sit in a classroom or go to a practice and just be around the kids. Being around the kids is why they're doing it. And sometimes they get caught up too much in the other stuff. So how do, how do you do that, Billy? I mean, you've got kids of your own now. You have a wonderful wife and kids and your mom. And, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you think about the idea, the ideal of balance? How do you figure that out? I mean, listen, I'm really, I am, I am truly blessed. You know, my, my beautiful wife and talented wife, Jessica, you know, we met in our mid twenties and, you know, we have had a great relationship. So much of this success of the business is, is directly related to having such a strong person behind me. 
So I'm, I'm always grateful to her. She sets me straight. She keeps me focused. She is an incredible mom to our two kids. And, and, and it's, you know, it, listen, it's challenging when you're on the road traveling, you're dealing with work stuff, you know, you are worried about the kids. How are they doing? You know, am I there for them? Am I there for my mom who's now 76 years old, 77 years old? So, you know, like, like, like all business owners and operators, you've got to, you've got to figure out the balance, right? Because you, you, you want to work hard and you want to press, you want to continue to do all those things that bring success and, and, and drive wealth. But you can't forget that, you know, your kids are only young for such a small part of your life, right? It's such a small link of, of time. And, you know, I wanted to always be there for them. I wanted to be able to go to soccer practice. I wanted to be able to go to the games. I wanted to be there for the parent-teacher conferences. I wanted to be an, an involved dad. So, you know, it, it, it's a challenge, especially if I'm on the road for a few days. But what I try to do is look at the schedule and, and look at the priorities and say, okay, when do I, you know, great example, my daughter who is eight is doing a chapel presentation next Thursday at St. Michael's where she's in the third grade. And, and, you know, I had an appointment scheduled in Los Angeles for that Thursday morning. And I, I called up the person I was supposed to meet and I said, I can't make it on Thursday. Could, could we do Thursday night? And he says, no, no, I, I need you here Thursday morning. And I said, my daughter needs me at her chapel presentation Thursday morning. And he said, I got it. So I found that over the years that, you know, we're all parents, we all have kids, we all want to be there for them and work can wait. Family is first. You're right, Billy. Listen, there's no such thing as a free lunch, but you're about to give free advice for a family with a seventh, eighth grader, ninth grader who's trying to think about college, trying to think about how do you focus a child without putting undue pressure on a kid who already has gone through a lot with COVID and whatever else is going on in their own family. How do you, how do you counsel parents to talk to their kids about college? Because sometimes we, you know, I've had four kids and sometimes you stumble into it. Sometimes you don't get it right, but how do, how do you give us some advice on that? How do you work through that? I mean, listen, right now at that age, the most important thing is, is the kid happy socially? Are they in the right middle school and are they thinking about the right high school? People, I think, sometimes lose track of like, oh, we got to push. We got to, we got to, we got to, we got to bring the, the hammer down. Like we need more. Like it's, you know, that is a recipe for disaster. Because at some point, you know, that kid is going to break. And it almost always is right in the middle of junior year, the most important time for grades and test scores and all the other stuff. And that kid is just the, the emotional tank is empty. So yeah. Do you want to encourage healthy lifestyle? Yes. Do you want to encourage social time? Yes. Do you want to encourage hard work and discipline around academics? Of course, but you've got to lean into it gently over a longer period of time. You know, this is not a sprint. The middle school years and the high school and college years are the most formative of a young person. And what we all need to do as parents, and by the way, I probably need to take my own advice because, you know, I'm all over my kids. Like, wait, you have a math test tomorrow? You better get off those video games. Let's get a tutor. Let's do, you know, because of course I want them to be at their best. But sometimes Jessica has to reel me back and say, you know, they've got it. They, they can handle this. You've got to let them fail. You've got to let them test the waters. But I will say this, 
there are probably three moments that a parent is going to get in which they've got to step in and really make the decision. And the key is knowing between sixth grade and the end of college, when are those three moments? Because it can't be every time and it can't be never. But there's going to be three moments along that journey where mom and dad have got to step in and make sure they get it right. And if you do that, the trajectory for that young person is pretty special. And sometimes the stepping in, Billy, in my opinion anyway, is taking something away, whether it's a phone, whether it's social media, whether it's a video game console, whatever it is, you have to, you can be heavy handed, but do it in a quiet way. Like, no, you're, you will, that spending the next two hours just, you know, just kind of flipping through something on your phone just isn't going to work. So you might as well spend your time doing something productive, you know, but I, I, I digress. You see this stuff more often than I do, but it's, it's always interesting to see how different families handle it, how different kids react, understanding what their triggers are, and then also helping them realize that you may know the big names of colleges, but you may be really happy in a college whose name you've never even heard of. Right. That's right. That's right. And there's a lot of them out there and you know them. So Billy, any last comments as we look to wrap things up here? Any, any lessons learned, anything, any vision for the future? that you can see ESM growing to? You know, I, listen, I, I think we take it one day at a time and we're, we're certainly very excited about, you know, 24 and 25. We, we see some opportunity out there and, you know, we're going to continue to be cautious along the way, but I think if we continue to do what we really enjoy doing, which is helping young people achieve great things, I think all the rest kind of works itself out. And, you know, if the Kings can win a championship and bring it home to Sacramento, Hey, that's just, you know, cherry on top. ESM will sponsor the parade. I'm sure of it. Billy, (laughs) and I should point out too, you have an incredible stable of tutors who work for you. These people work remotely. They work all over the world. They have incredible degrees. What what do you pay your tutors? Just give us a range. Yeah, so it it really depends on where that tutor is based. It depends if that tutor is working full-time or part-time. It depends if that tutor is working in-home or Zoom only. But, you know, a, a, a full-time tutor can make north of $100,000. You know, a part-time tutor can make north of, you know, $40,000. So it, it really depends on how many students that tutor is working with. Is that tutor part-time or full-time? Are they in-home or, or Zoom? So there's a, there's a very large range. We have full-time folks. We have part-time folks. But one thing that is very clear to me, which probably wasn't the case 20 or so years ago, you can have a career and work with students in this capacity. There is no doubt in my mind. I've seen my entire management team go from their mid to late 20s now to their you know early 40s, get married, buy homes, have kids, and be here and build a business, and all the while continue to work with kids. You're right. It's another great option. Billy Downey, can't thank you enough. The head of ESM, a man who basically built an industry where there was no industry before. And he's done it very successfully and retains his love for working with families and kids and still gets to do it, even though he's running a very successful company. Can't thank you enough, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Bye, Sci-Fi, bite-sized finance, wherever you get your podcasts. Kelly Brothers here, host of Bye, Sci-Fi, bite-sized finance, 
What a guest we have coming up. Super Bowl weekend, none other than the dean of NFL officials and also part of the dream team on Fox Sports, Mike Pereira on the next Buy Sci-Fi. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite Size Finance. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your ratings, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pool. Under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, this podcast is defined as an advertisement and includes an uncompensated testimonial by a cap trust client. Please be advised that clients' experiences as described in this podcast do not necessarily represent the experience of other clients. The discussions and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are subject to change without notice. This podcast is intended to be informational only. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation to invest in any securities. CapTrust Financial Advisors is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. CapTrust does not render legal advice. Thanks again for listening to Bite Sized Finance. Kelly Brothers here for CapTrust. We are fiduciaries. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? That means that legally we are obligated to put your best interests over our own. Non-fiduciaries don't have that same legal situation. They can sell you something as long as it's suitable, but they don't have to put you in the best thing for you over their best interest. In other words, they can't just sell you a nice annuity with a big fat commission for themselves, even if it's not the best thing for you. We are fiduciaries. We are proud to be fiduciaries. And let me say something too about price. I am always shocked by the fact that I, there are people who I know will scour the internet for the cheapest flight or the cheapest ticket to a ball game, but they have no idea what they are paying for their advisor. We tell you upfront in black and white, here's what you're paying for what you're getting. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom.